Well, I'm always fascinated when I open a hive and see that seeming chaos and how organized it is. You open the hive and you smell the bees and you hear them hum and the smell indicates already if they're healthy or not or if they're happy or not. If they have a bit of a lemony smell, they're alarmed, so you have to work more carefully. You're, if they, if they have a, a higher pitched or a deeper pitched buzz and a bit of a louder buzz, they might be a bit nervous. So, but when you manage to open them up and they're hardly disturbed and they keep on doing their little happy buzzing and it's just a piece of happiness, it's just very nice. Welcome to the Humans of Birth podcast. My name is Jason Miller. Barbara Bear Imhoof educates the public on the work being done at the Center for Integrated Bee Research, Cyber for short. There they work with local beekeepers from Western Australia to find solutions to the bee population decline worldwide. In this podcast, we learn why that's important to all of us, but mostly we learn about Barbara herself and her dedication to science. I'm from uh, Switzerland. I was born in Winterthur, which is a town a bit outside of Zurich, a bit of a not very interesting town, some people say, and has a lot of nature around it, so you can still take a bus and half an hour out there. You can go horseback riding in the forest. I always collected bugs and snails and what have you in the countryside. Oh yes, I always had boxes and little boxes with um, beetles and little boxes with snails, and I made snail races at my grandparents' place. And and then when we got older and I went to school, we, uh, we had au pairs because in Switzerland the, the children come home for lunch. So that was of course quite difficult for my parents to come home for lunch and then go back. That wouldn't happen every day, but we had an au pair who lived with us in our place in the countryside where we had lots of space. Um, she, she liked licorice and uh, smoked a pipe. I think I, I always thought, yeah, I, when, I'm, when I grow up I'll smoke the pipe, I thought it was a nice smell. <laughs> But of course it goes out of fashion, I think. It's not, never been in fashion with women. My dad's personality. Um, he's a movie maker, very dedicated to his work. And his personality is, is well, yeah, he's nature-loving and, and um, caring. And um, We saw him every second week because we, my parents got divorced when I was seven. They both, my dad and my mom, have strong personalities, so they they tell you what they want in no uncertain terms. High school was different because by that time I've lived in the city for a couple of years. We moved to Zurich um, when I was in year four, and um, I remember greeting everybody in the street, and they were looking at me a bit strangely because um, that's not what you do in Zurich. I had always one best friend in high school, and when she wasn't around, I, w I felt a bit lonely, so I was a bit. I guess, I don't know, I was, I was still quite small and um, I had glasses and I just got braces. So it was not an easy time high school for me because I didn't look very pretty. I presented the, the idea of becoming a vet in class because we had to present what we would like to become and everybody just jeered and laughed and said, ah, you're too little, how are you going to treat the horse, you're going to need a stool to get up there, and, you know. And um, in a way, yes, there was a certain truth in it. And also what changed my mind was I was, I was uh, becoming an exchange student. I went to the United States for a year in uh, 1984. So in 1983, 84, I was turning 17 there. And um, I started, and it was so cool because there I was somebody. All of a sudden, just because I was from Switzerland, I was somebody. No, and, and everybody was interested in me. All of a sudden I had heaps of friends. After three months I started dreaming in English. 
and then I knew, okay, I've switched. And since then, I, I can, I, I think it's like having two parts in your head. You kind of switch around. You're either in the German or in the English part. Yeah, I came out of my shell, I guess, during that year. And I went back into my old class. So I, I had jumped a year, basically. And uh, it was hard work to catch up, of course. But And in terms of my role in the class, I finally got a nickname, because you only got a nickname when you were somebody. Bearable is just a short, is a very frequent shortage way of saying Barbara. Yes, <laughs> made it. <laughs> it was like graduating to, to be someone. Went to uh, an advisor to find out what I wanted to do and did a bit of work in addition as a salesperson over the phone selling things to people. You know, one of these terrible ones that call you up at seven at night and try to sell you whatever. The favorite one was of course the, the animal magazine that they had, the monthly. Um, I tried to sell those. There was one about cats, there was one about dogs, and then one was insurance. But I knew that if people took out that insurance, then their old insurance that they already had wouldn't pay anymore. So whenever somebody came close to trying to buy that, I told them, really read the small print before you buy, okay? And kind of hung up again. I didn't want to sell them anything that would hurt them. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't work too long there, you get, as you can guess. I started reading up on biology, thought that would be fascinating, and did a, a month's work in a Swiss agricultural place where you can, they, they took me on as an intern, so I could work there for a month, and it was very interesting. So I found out that this is, yes, this is what I want to study. Uh, I remember I had, I had different things. One was uh, looking after plants and the, the roots, they have little bulbs and inside those bulbs, they, they, when you cut them, they're a bit reddish inside and moist. And these bulbs, they, they are the little houses for the bacteria. And they, these bacteria, they bind um, nitrogen. And this nitrogen then feeds the plant. So the plant uh, provides housing for the bacteria and the bacteria provide nitrogen food for the plant. And that interaction lets the plant grow better. And when you leave the, the roots of this plant in the field, when you plough it under after the plant is, is, is finished on top, um, the soil is fertilised. So it's, it's a very clever way of fertilising your soil. Well, then I started my studies and I started becoming a biologist. It was good. I had a lot of fun at uni. I wasn't different anymore. I think that was nice to, to belong to that group of people who, who studied the same thing and we were fascinated by the same thing. And, Loved uh, nature and being outdoors, organized field camps, field trips, gave talks about them, organized compost exhibitions. And at one conference there was a group talking about bumblebees and parasites they have. That was a fantastic talk because it uh, involved different methods, so not only ecology but also genetics and it was it was between these host parasite interactions so you had to think like a parasite if i was a parasite how would i get into this bumblebee and get the most out of the bumblebee without killing it and surviving myself and going on to the next generation and so on so i thought these are questions that are fascinating i want to learn more about it and that's when i decided to do a phd so we used to always assign, that's still done today, you assign an old, a young researcher with an old, you, you let them come along with an older researcher to learn the methods, to learn the ropes. And he came along and, and learned from me how to, how to raise bumblebees and how to catch them in the field and all that stuff that he needed to know to start his PhD. Took Boris out to the field, we caught bumblebees and I just, I, I mean I liked him, I always, and, and yeah, then I started noticing, okay, I kind of miss him when he's not there and then when I broke up with my other boyfriend, it was uh, we 
just after we, there was a trip to go to a conference, I was allowed to go to a conference and present a poster on my findings of my PhD. And normally you couldn't do that until you were in your third year, so it was kind of a bit of a reward after three years of hard work. And um, because Boris had just found out something special in the bumblebees himself, um, he was last minute allowed to come along. And the professor kind of said, well, you know, because it's such short notice, just ask Barbara, she's arranged some trip or whatever, just, just ask her, take along with her. And I was like, ah, you know, I want to do my own stuff. <laughs> and then we went to Darwin I had, for a week, and then we went to Cairns, to the Ningaloo Reef for snorkeling. And Boris just came along and then during the trip we, we got to know each other better and came back as a couple. Nobody, we were surprised about it, but nobody else was. <laughs> we got to know each other in 1996 and in 1999 we actually got, we got married. And the engagement happened early in 1999, but the first rings we just got because we were together. Uh, so I finished my PhD and then I was a bit sick of research and decided to work um, outside of the university and go and earn some money and to see how the real world out there was out of research. So for four years I worked in a Swiss bank in the human resources department and Boris kept on doing his PhD and after the PhD he, he was still passionate about research and said okay I want to do a postdoc and ended up going to Copenhagen. And then we were, um, we were apart for a year and um, I became a bit sick of my job at the bank. It was, it was um, not really my thing. I learned that there are people who are only interested in making money. They just want to make money and more money or have more power. That was new to me. I didn't know. I was naive. I didn't know there were people like that. I, in the end, I gave up my job in the bank and just did my MBA because it was part-time from Copenhagen. So I moved to Copenhagen with Boris and for a year, um, travel back and forth, finishing off my MBA. By the end of that time, I was just about due to give birth to our first son. And um, he was born in Copenhagen. Uh, the hardest thing to cope with was not having enough sleep. But I had good moms around me, so I got to know one of the moms. Um, she was English, actually. She's English, and I'm still friends with her. She lived 20 minutes away from me on foot, so we, I'd often take Andrew in the pram and take him there to that other woman who also had a son who had just been born a day after Andrew. And they became best friends and played a lot and we were best friends, so it was good. We, we had a good time exploring Copenhagen together. We went to art galleries, had coffees, went baby swimming, you know, and, and all that. So it was a very happy time for me. I had a very good time. After 11 months, every mom uh, has, has a spot in a daycare place and in within 20 minutes biking distance from where I lived. I had a choice of five different places where he could go that were all very, very nice. So it was just to, to choose the best one among wonderful childcare places. It was, it's a dream to be mom in Copenhagen compared to many other places, I guess. So he went, he went to a childcare place and because it was not very expensive, it was $400 a month. I, he was there every day for like, three, four hours, and I worked as a volunteer at the institute where Boris was working. Uh, he worked on ants, on leaf-cutting ants, in, and uh, he, so the field work happened in Panama, and then they brought the ants back and had them in the lab. Those are the fungus-growing leaf-cutting ants, so they cut leaves from trees and chew them and grow a fungus on the leaves, and the fungus has the fruit bodies from which they live, so that's what they eat. A colony of these leaf-cutter ants, there's one queen, she's about the size of my 
middle finger. And um, she is one queen and she has millions of daughters that build colonies that are the size of this room under the soil. Uh, there is a little film on YouTube where they pour cement into one of these colonies and then dig it out. And it's, it's amazing with, with the main chambers and corridors and fungal chambers and, and so on. So Boris was investigated, investigating how uh, the mating system of these ants makes it possible for a queen to actually be the, the queen of such a huge colony. We ended, he ended up being there four years, I was there three years. Um, the money f ran out and as usual, when, when you're an academic, you go where other professors with similar interests are. So we had seen Perth for our um, wedding trip, basically when we got engaged. We had spent some time in Perth on a holiday. So we knew what the place looked like and said, okay, well, let's write it, you know, let's change the, the grant and, and write it so that it applies to Perth and ended up coming here. That was in 2005. I started working for Boris. So the, then the, the roles reversed, right? He, taught, he got me back into academia and became my supervisor. And I did research for him. And we had planned on having a second child and then um, it didn't work out right away. And then I started working for him and then we had a second child. So I became pregnant with Lucia. It was a bit scary because the work didn't double. It kind of went, um, how do you call this, exponentially up. It took me by surprise. But um, it worked out in the end because the kids love each other and it was good for, for Andrew to, to see his little brother and for Lucia to adore a big brother. So they, they love being around each other and playing together and doing stuff together. And this, has, this is still the case. They're five years apart, but they really love each other dearly. Of course, they know each other as well, but most of the time they just stick together. Lucia, the younger one, learned at school that plants need um, soil and water and light. So he got him, he always likes to plant things. So he got himself a little flower from, from the lawn. He dug that out and brought it home and planted it in the soil and then he watered it. And then I caught him with a flashlight, actually giving the plant some light to make it grow quicker. I thought it was very, very cute. Well, if you like to eat, you like to have bees. It's so simple. So the, every third bite of food you put on your fork has been produced with the help of a bee, by a bee pollinating a plant. All our fruit and veg need, need to be pollinated by honeybees. The bees worldwide are in trouble. Well, pesticides are, are a problem and the, the whole poisons in the environment that stress the bees. And then there is climate change, which makes that sometimes the flowers don't flower at the time where they should be. Or monocultures, where the bees only find one type of food at one time and nothing else. If bees only find one food source in, an, in the area where their hive is, it's like having only one kind of food for a long time for us as well, it's just not healthy. And also parasites are a problem because the bees get, um, especially in the States, the bees would be transported from different areas into these huge almond gardens where they meet with other bees from other areas and exchange parasites. And then they go back into their colonies and get shipped somewhere else where they might only be apple flowers. So for a whole while they only eat apple flowers because there's nothing else. Uh, the honeybees also help flowering plants spread so you'd have the flowering plants that are pollinated by honeybees you wouldn't have them anymore so the world would be less colorful and we'd eat a lot of wind pollinated stuff I mean lots of oats and, and wheat and grains you know but not 
many fruit and vegetables, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, the world would be less colorful, would be less beautiful, I guess. This podcast was produced by me with sound composition done by Andrew Clark. Now, before you go, there's some interesting science after this. So stick around if you're interested. Flower produces nectar because it needs to be pollinated. And so it evolved the nectar to be sweet so the, and flower petals to, attract the, to be visually attractive to a honeybee. So the bee will visit it and the bee gets the nectar, which is its food, and the bee accidentally pollinates by visit, looking for the nectar in the flower. And they also collect pollen to eat. They need the pollen for the protein. So, but the honey is made from the nectar. They transport it in their honey stomach, which is kind of a pre-stomach that doesn't digest it fully. And then they let it out and give it to the next bee who will, who will then swallow it and let it out to the next bee and then put it into the honeycomb and add some, um, so some proteins from their honey stomach and from their salivi- some, some salivary gland substances that make it last longer. And they also fan off the excess water in the nectar because nectar is basically sugars in water. And you want to get rid of the water so the sugar gets very concentrated and add some enzymes to let, make it last longer. And then it turns into honey slowly. It's a fermentation process, a slow one. And once the honey is finished, it, it takes about, I heard, 21 days. The bees place a, a wax cap on top of that honeycomb that contains the honey. And underneath that wax cap, the honey can last for ages and ages. So they found honey in Egyptian tombs that still was still edible. A worker bee lives three weeks inside the hive and three weeks outside the hive, usually. And the honeybee queen, she can live five years, maybe seven if she has winter breaks. The queen bee is able to store the sperm she receives at mating for five years at body temperature and using one or two sperm cells for fertilizing the eggs whenever she needs to fertilize an egg. And this is quite unique. Humans cannot do this. If we would find out how the sperm is stored at room temperature, how the queen manages that on a molecular level, if we can uh, kind of somehow find out how this is done, it would help our own reproductive medicine as well, because one of the big problems in reproductive medicine is how to store the sperm so it doesn't get damaged.